Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... You know, in an in, in integration like this, it's all about change because it was the number one buying the number two. So you're talking about change. So when, when I looked at who, I looked at knowledge and experience. That was one factor. But the factor that I multiplied with is how are they going to embrace and execute change? Because you can be as good and as much knowledge as you want, but if you don't want to change and if you don't want to drive change, it's not going to work in an integration project as we had to do. So that, that, was, that was what I looked at when I, when I observed people. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. Today I talk with Will Jacobs, a friend and former colleague known for achieving first-class results while caring for his teams. Will is a hands-on senior executive and talented strategist who started his career as a machine operator. His professional journey makes him highly capable both in the boardroom with corporate investors and on the shop floor. His ability to see complex links between seemingly unrelated matters is evident during our discussion as he reflects upon his learning journey in a vibrant way for the listener. He talks about his mentors who recognized his talents, saw his potential and created opportunities for him along the way. He also shares the forks in the road with a rare openness and honesty. From his decision to drop out of university when he was 19 to the key changes he pursued in his career. Most importantly, Will talks about his love for people and his passion for identifying and cultivating their talents. It was great to catch up with Will and hear him share his learning journey in such an impactful way. Welcome to Impact Learning, Will. It's a great um, opportunity to have you with us today. Oh, thank you, Maria. It's a fantastic uh, honor to be, on, uh, to be on your podcast. I love listening to them and now I'm on it. Well, it's wonderful. It's, uh, it's, I'm grateful that you are here. First of all, congratulations on your new book. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. We're very excited about it. What is the name of the book? Uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors, uh, The Instant Leadership Solution. Perfect. We will talk uh, about the book a little bit later, but let me start with something that I'm very curious about. What was uh, something you learned on your own as a kid? I, I come from a family that uh, love that is attached to water. So we love water. And as a young boy, I always wanted to sail. So, and sailing is not something that you can just do. You, you, have, to, you have to learn this. So I always saw my, my dad on the water sailing. And one day he, he bought me a very small uh, boat. And I just got on the water. 
um, I started to find it out. He, he wasn't the guy that said, come with me, I'll teach you everything. He was more someone that said, here's the boat, you've been with me on the water, just go and try. So yeah, that's something I, I really enjoy doing. And I, I love the way I actually apprenticed how to, how to sail. How old were you when you started sailing? Uh, four years, so which was pretty young. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Very good. And are you still sailing, Will? Ah, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice question. I actually, uh, I don't anymore because what happened was I sailed a lot and I, and I kept sailing. I did regattas and more regattas and I sailed in Europe with, with my brother until the time that our kids got to an age where they learned sailing. And they turned out to be better than I was. So from a sailor, I turned into a dad, into a bus driver. Because now I was traveling with my kids all over Europe. Uh, and they were doing the regattas. So uh, that, that is why I stopped with sailing, but I, I still love it. But seeing my kids do the same is, is an even better, better reward. Beautiful. I cannot help but ask. So... Did they? Did you let your kids learn on their own, like you did, or was there a coach involved and more training? Ah, no, <laughs> I, I actually did exactly the same, but times changed as well. And so they started to learn how to survive in a sailing boat on their own, and then they became part of a team, and the training started, and the coaching started, and I think that's why they actually became much better than, than, than I was, certainly at that age. Beautiful. So you talked about your uh, family being very close to water. What about their thinking related to learning and education? Did they encourage you to go to school or to study? What was the, I guess, philosophy about learning at home? Well, my especially my, my mother always motivated us to, to study. Um, now, I must also honestly say that learning wasn't too difficult for me. I was always very curious. And when I went to school, I went to school, and there was not a lot of homework involved, <laughs> to be honest. But my grades were good. So I could spend a lot of time playing with, uh, with my friends. But my mother, especially my mother, always kept an eye on are the results good? Okay, as long as the results good, you're, you're fine. Uh, but I had this natural instinct of, of learning. So I think I read every book that was available in the, in the library. At a certain point in time, I reached into books that I was actually I had no clue what I was reading. But there were no books left in the library. So I was reading Greek mythology when, when I was, I think, 10 years old much too young to truly understand the content of the books. But that was my, my way of learning was watching German television because we live very close to Germany yeah. and they had fantastic kids programs that explained stuff. Uh, and that's how I learned the language, uh, not, not at school. And um, reading a lot, library, and then yeah, my kids won't even understand what it is. My, my parents had an encyclopedia that I just loved reading up from as well. So whenever I wanted to think about something, how does that work? I was looking in this, you know, this 21 
encyclopedia collection and, and, and go in. Uh, yeah, I, I try to explain that to my kids lately, but they really looked at me like that. Encyclopedia? Is that like Wikipedia? Yeah, something like that, but then printed in a very little book. <laughs> it's, so you leveraged, this is beautiful, because you leveraged basically all the resources available to you. You know, what you learned at school, then the books at the library, uh, whatever was on TV, so you learned a different language and other things, and encyclopedia. Yeah. So basically all the learning resources available to what I say our generation, <laughs> because we did not have other things available when we were growing up, uh, you basically leverage very well. Yeah, and, and never with a must do. And I think that, that was, it was always fun. Uh, and yeah. something I always tried to, I wasn't aware at that age that I made that conscious choice that only came later. That when I learned something, it's because I'm curious and it's fun. I, it's always difficult for me to learn something that I don't like. And my brain, one or the other way, is not capable of capturing it in the same way as when it's fun doing it. Yeah. So it has to be fun and it's also driven by curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, uh, yeah. I always want to understand. Uh, in, in my book, we talk about scissors and, and curiosity of scissors. I yeah. am a real scissor, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay, I can see, and I, I can see also the the similarity now. The way you know we approach learning, because also I, I I studied a lot through encyclopedia, which is still when I visit my mom, she still has you know the whole set uh, you know in the bookcase, uh, and I think I have gone through every page <laughs> when I was in elementary school, which is interesting. But yes, it's curiosity and also fun, and try to figure and understand things. Very nice. So is, was there any specific uh, matter or subject that you were interested in? Were you more into history or philosophy or science? Ah, yeah, there were two, two subjects that always appealed to me. One was about people. What drives people? What motivates people? How do people work together? And the other part, so I read a lot about that, studied a lot about that, and the other part was new technology. Right? I'm always interested in new technology, what's out there, what, what is happening, what can you do with it, how can you apply it? So those are the two major topics that are, was always important. Okay, so now as you're preparing uh, to go to university, when you say uh, technology, new technology, what kind of things come to mind? Ah, good. Yeah, good, good question. So I was, at the time, studying electronics was something that was really something new because you, you move from, from the transistor time into, into really studying how you, how you can use the new chip technology, and that really attracted me. So that's why, why I went to, uh, went to study electronics at, uh, at university. Uh, okay. I was also similarly, uh, we had quite a, a tragic event in my, in my first year with my, my father had a, had a fatal accident. So for me, I, I had to make a choice and my choice was to stop uh, school. Um, so I started to work. But I kept studying, nevertheless. Uh, that's why uh, 
Ja, ik stelde wat elektronisch, maar het dimmen en dat met elektronisch. I'm sorry to hear about that. If you would like to share with us, so when uh, the incident happened and your father was gone, what was it like that uh, you had to support your family financially? How did you make the decision to stop your studies and go to work? Ah, uh, yeah, you know this this. This happened. I was uh, I was 19. My, my brother and I were actually at the same university. He, he was doing a, a different study than than I was doing. So this happened. And my my mom, very strong woman, uh, often very ill as well. So you then start thinking on okay, what 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 is it that I that I want to do and need to do? And given studying wasn't too difficult for me, the impact of my father's death was quite severe and I I didn't get enough rest if I was studying so I I went uh, I worked in a factory just to get my mind on something else but also um, with the death of my father our, our income of the family really dropped and that made it also very difficult so that was also a reason for me to say, okay, let me take part of the burden away. And I, uh, and I start working. And my brother continued studying and, and he did extremely well. He graduated with the best at, uh, at school. So that, that was very, very great to see. Did you also move closer to, I guess, home, closer to your mother? I actually was, uh, I was very lucky. The university wasn't that far. So I was already living at home. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so it was all okay. Very, very good. Okay, it's you know I find it uh, well. I find it um, intriguing that you said you from from studying something, you went to basically regular work to also take your mind away from this. I find that uh, I'm trying to understand a little bit more of that. Yeah, that, so my my brain never stops. So I'm always thinking. I'm always trying to understand stuff. And, and honestly, I couldn't understand what happened with my dad. So okay. I had to find something else. And I actually went into a very physical job, uh, hard labor, to, to do that. That was my way of escaping from my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Because manual work does that. It's like, uh, for me, when I do manual work around the house, it, like, it's almost mental break. Like yes. uh, I, I have the opportunity to empty, as I always say, I like to empty my brain. So I'm going to clean, you know, uh, the, uh, the apartment. Okay. What kind of work was that? You said, was it in a manufacturing uh, facility? Yeah, it was a manufacturing facility uh, that, that was uh, part of Unilever. Uh, we made, uh, let's call it the, the substance that for detergents that really does the cleaning. Um, sodium silicates, uh, zeolites. And my, uh, my, my first job was uh, working in a very hot environment because you had the sand and the sodium, that, that so soda ashes, that had to be melted, so 1400 degrees. So you can imagine how, how hot the department was. And my first promotion was very interesting. I went from sweeper to packer. And nowadays, that would be not, not allowed, honestly. I had to do 
the shift was eight hours, and on, on an eight-hour shift, I had to pack 24 tons of 50-kilogram bags manually. Um, and that was, well, if you talk about physical work, uh, that was physical work. Yeah. But as said, it, it did me well. But then you moved from machine operator to supply chain manager. How did this transition happen? Yeah, so uh, I, here I was, an operator without degrees. So what I then did was I started to study in the evening. Um, but also, uh, when I had to do those, those 24 tons on a shift, at a certain point in time, I became strong and I had a better technique. So I was, I was able to do the 24 tons in five hours. And that meant that I could study three hours. So I then studied at work and I studied in the evening at home or I was working in shifts. So in the morning, whenever I was free. So I got all my, I got all the operator degrees and I was then recognized by someone that I'm very grateful of. We said, Hey, you've got more capacity. Come and work for me. And that was in the era where pro, uh, process automation started. So I moved from being an operator to someone who was helping with process automation. In the end, I led that, led that department. Um, and when I, when I did that, when you do process automation, uh, I, I kept studying. So I had a, a Bachelor in Information Technology, then a Master in Information Technology. And that's when SAP came along. And SAP is very much linked to logistic systems. So I moved from uh, implementing uh, SAP into a supply chain manager. How did you meet the person who said, come and work for me? So when, when I was an operator on one of the factories, the first factory it was a site with eight factories. And the first factory was automated. And I was responsible for running uh, that, that factory. As a, as a control room operator. And there was a book where you could write down things that were wrong or stuff that you think could be improved. And I, I think I filled that whole book where, <laughs> with stuff that I saw and, and that triggered then my mentor at the time by pulling me out and say, I can either have you fill in all these pages or you're going to solve it for me. So, and that was his way of saying, I think you'll tell him, come, come and help yeah. me and I'll help you. What you just uh, shared is perhaps one of the best career advices when, you know, when uh, especially young professionals uh, talk about how do we make ourselves visible or how do we, you know, show our work and the easiest way or the best way is to do exactly what you said, to do the work and also share your ideas of how to make things better like what do you know and it's so simple because this is if if when we when we do exactly what you did will it's clearly and and you have the performance because you were already completing you know your targets and meeting all the expectations more or less the person knows that you can do the work and you also want to make things better to me these these two skills tell me this is a person i'd like to work on my team yeah, that's, yeah. It, it's actually, subconsciously, I look for that as well. Yeah. 
because I think my tolerance for, for people that only know the theory and not the application of it is, is always a bit, I'm always a bit wobbly with, with that. <laughs> but I must also say, I always try, given I was so fortunate of meeting someone that, that said, hey, I think you can do more than you're currently doing. I always look for those talents as well. So it's, it's one of the objectives that I have is detect the talent and help them improve and help them grow. I, love, I think detect the talent is a skill. It's a, it's a, it comes with intention because you want to do it, but I think it's a skill. You, you can see that. For me, it's a bit difficult to, to confirm it like that. I just like doing it. But... Yeah, well, yes, you like doing it. So you know, how, and then you develop the skill. I think, you know, when I think of that, so often I think it, it's natural for you because it comes from your interest, right? So that you, that you like to do it. But then the more you do, the more you do, I'm, I'm certain that you can see someone very quickly in their working environment and that you can identify the talent quickly. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I actually always, always tell people that uh, if, you, if you like it, you're good at it. And, and then, they, yeah. then they look at me and say, yeah, because it, it, everything you like, you're good at it. So... Don't don't be afraid of saying saying this. If you don't like something, most probably you struggle a lot with it as well. Uh, how long were you in supply supply chain roles? I think supply chain operations roles more than twenty years. In total. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I want to talk because these are, so you, you started as a machine operator, very different kind of work, yeah. then also supply chain and then operations. And then of course, in your more recent, more senior management roles, it's a combination of supply chain operations, more of a strategic leadership. But I want to talk about each of them. So in supply, supply chain roles, what, uh, what did you learn? What kind of skills did you develop? Ah, so... I think in, in, in the supply chain role, and, and people always say, hey, but you, st you have a master in IT, right? How come you're, you're in supply chain? Yeah. Oh, you use a lot of systems in supply chain, but also once you have truly grasped information technology, the thing that you learn is what I call lateral thinking. A, a lot of people think sequential. So one thing after the other. But if, you, if you're doing programming, if you if uh, have to implement systems or subsystems that are connected to each other, what you learn is, is more the lateral logic tree thinking. And when, when you move in supply chain, one of the things that, that I learned most is network thinking. So, which is related to the, to the IT. So how can I optimize a network? And, and, and I think that is what I, what I learned most during that, that period. When you talk about lateral thinking and optimizing the network, uh, what, uh, what role do like connections you see between different things play? So for, for instance, um, yeah. It starts with one single input, and, and it is the customer wants to have a product. 
that's what I always try to do in the supply chain. It's all about what does the customer want, not, not what we want. What does the customer want? So how do you then translate what the customer wants and when you're going to make it, how you're going to make it, where you're going to make it? And I think that is, that is the connection in the, in, in the learning, um, but also in the doing. Uh, and that's what I like about, about the role as well, because you can see the effect. And you're continuous looking at how you can improve that from I start making to the customer receives it. And continuously try to be one step ahead of the customer in what it is that they're going to need. And, and that, is, that is the part that really interests me in, in the supply chain level. Mm-hmm. So if, if I follow a sequential thinking yeah. and I don't have what we talk about, which is more strategic and lateral, uh, what am I missing? Am I missing opportunities? Am I making mistakes? What, uh, what are the shortfalls? So if you, if you do sequential thinking, um, you, you only think about one solution. You, 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 you go for A to B and you try to do that with a straight line. Whilst it could be much better to, do, to go from A to Z to T to C and then to B. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that is what I, what I would call lateral thinking. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. That, that made it very clear. Thank you. So you mentioned that uh, at the beginning of your uh, career, there was this person who identified your, I guess, potential and asked you to join and move into a different role. During your supply chain and operation roles, uh, did you also uh, have mentors or advisors of, or people who, let's say, guided you or created opportunities for you? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my mentor, when I, when I started work, was, was Jacques Franken. Uh, when, I, when I moved into another division, uh, it was actually Alan Bate, who I, who I think you, you know as well. He and he's played a a long time a mentor for me. So I did this supply chain role, I did, I did operations role, and that all went well, and the results were there. And he, he, looked, he looked at me and we had a discussion on what, how I wanted to develop. And at that time, I was like, I want to become a general manager. So, so he said, okay, what are you going to do about it? Uh, like Alan, Alan really was. I said, oh, I'm going to do yeah. an MBA. Um, when I do an MBA, I'm, uh, I, I will be ready. And he, he, he smiled. Um, and he, he didn't say a lot. He, he smiled. And, and then one day, I got a call from him. And he said, I've got a job for you. You are going to report to me. I can't tell you what the job is. And you've got three days to think. So what do you do, Maria? What do you do? So I called him half a day later. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I want to learn as much as I can from you. So tell me what the job is. And then he, he, he explained to me that Neil McFarlane was leaving the company, was head of uh, HSNE for the five different divisions. And I was like, wait a minute, I am, yes, safety is very close to my heart. I don't want anybody to get hurt. But this is a corporate role 
and it's not operations or supply chain or IT. Alan, <laughs> I already said yes, but why? <laughs> and, and Alan explained to me at the time that he said, look, you're very good in control and, and command. You're very good at improving processes. What you need to learn is how you can influence people without having a, a line relationship. So, listening to that advice, I actually did that role three years. I worked with five different divisions and uh, I struggled the first six months and then I loved it. I really learned how to influence without having this direct line uh, responsibility. So, great mentorship and, and great choice. And I'm still, yeah, I can still use what I learned at the time. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this. It's beautiful because it, it reminds me of also let's say, personal experience that I have with what I call key people in my life. Mentors, of course, it's, they are mentors, but also they create opportunities. Correct. You know, it could be an opportunity that you wouldn't be working for Alan Bate, but it could, you know, but if they can, of course, because they want, they want you to work for, you know, for them. And this is also, to me, that, that's a clear message. Uh, but it's, it's beautiful when you get, let's say, the guidance but also the opportunity. Absolutely. Beautiful. So what was the role uh, that you did for, for the, these three years? So I was uh, head of uh, safety, health, environment and security okay. for, for National Stars of Chemicals, um, which consisted at the time of our five different divisions. So I worked with all of the, of the leadership teams and, and helping them on, on their way to improve on, on, in these fields. Mm -hmm. You talked about the first six months that they were more uh, challenging or there were some you know, uh, challenges to overcome. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, it was quite, quite a change for me. Um, I've always been at the, at the front of problems that needed to be solved, which is very much operations and supply chain and directly involved with, with the team. And now suddenly, two things happened. One, I was no longer part of a team because this was a solitary role, uh, reporting to Alan, but we were not in the same location. I was working, I was working from home. Well, working from home I was on the road five days. And, and I, I suddenly became an advisor which is something different than having to execute and lead execution. So you can imagine that's quite a change from this command and control into, I've, got a, I've made this observation. Uh, this is what I saw. Uh, let's have a discussion on how we could improve that. What do you think? Yeah. I, can, I can imagine. So did you miss... I guess the the fun and the excitement of being in operations. Uh, at first, uh, absolutely, yeah. Because I, I I was like I felt so new, like I had to start all over again. I had all my credentials, but not here. I was also not HSE professional by education, so I mm -hmm. I I had to use everything that I learned from practice, and then I got another mentor. Uh, Charlie Horton, who a very experienced agency professional, that actually helped me with uh, 
predominantly the theory behind the behavioral aspect of safety. And then after four to six months, I realized that safety is not that much different than, than operations of supp or supply chain at the level I was operating, which was making people better and influence behavior. And, and once I got that, and once I also got the acceptance of the organization that now it's Will Jacobson, the role, I really started to enjoy that. I, yeah. I, I really liked it. Yeah. And when did you move back to, I guess, operations? Because you had a uh, responsibility for seven plants, I guess, in Europe? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did this transition happen? So it was on holiday in the south of France. And, and remember, I had a discussion with Alan Bade on, on becoming a general manager. So after two and a half years, Alan said, which division do you like best? Where would you like to move to? And, and I was honest. I said, I like adhesives a lot. Uh, I like the dynamics in, in, in adhesives. And my heart is still with operations. So yes, I've by now finished my MBA, but I really like operations and supply chain. So I was on holiday in the south of France, and I got a call. They had a, one of the biggest sites, which was a huge problem site in the south of France, and I was there a lot because there were many incidents. And I always had a bit of a dispute with, with, with Alan on the capabilities of this factory. So here came the challenge for me, and that was, we need someone to go to that site, to lead that site in the south of France. And you, we give you six months to go and fix it. If you can't fix it, you close it. And that was quite yeah. a statement. But I, I believed in the site. So I went to the site. And this shocked a lot of people because here was Will Jacobs reporting to the CEO, working with five business units, influential role, going as a plan director in one site in the south of France that nobody particularly liked. So I made a statement, uh, my wife and family joined me. Um, uh, with that, I could show to the site, like I'm serious, or I really want to make this a better site. And it went so well that after three months, they added two other sites, sister sites. And then after six months, I had all seven. So. There was definitely a plan behind my assignment uh, there as well. Yeah. Okay, I can see that, but it could have gone the other way if you did not, uh, you know, bring it to a level to be operational. So, so Will, what? How did you learn, and how did you make decisions which things to improve first, so the the side would be, you know, functional and operational. I would not have gone there if I didn't see the potential. So okay. I saw the potential of the majority of the people on that site. And I was convinced that if you could turn the morale around, this could be a very good site. And I was like, okay, I've never done a turnaround like this. I'm convinced that the people deserve it. And if I can get them in that same mindset as I have, that this can be 
a top side, then it's now or never. Okay, so it was people before process. It was absolutely people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. people. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Okay, okay. And uh, I guess 2008 came and uh, a big acquisition happened. And then you find yourself from seven plants in Europe, managing, being responsible for 27 plants in 12 countries <laughs> and what, more than 2,000 people? Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh... That was interesting. So the acquisition happened, and and Nash, of course, was quite a quite a, a full, close family. So we became part of big big Henkel, and the management teams had to go through an, a corn ferry assessment. As you know, I'm curious, so I looked up who my competition was because what they said was we take best of both worlds. We'll have both executive teams go through an assessment and we select the people who fit best. So I look at my competition and my competition was 25 years with Henkel, the company that acquired us. He was German and he had a PhD. So honestly, I, I went back and I said, look, I don't need to go into this competition. Uh, I said, no, 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 we want you to go. Said okay, I will go through this assessment, but I only will go through it if I get all the feedback from the assessment because I want to learn from this assessment to help me find and discover what my next role should be. I was convinced I wouldn't get the role, so I I, I went in with the aim to learn as much as possible about myself in that in that assessment. And then I got the feedback and they wanted to talk. I said, yeah, let's not do it. Let's talk about roles I can do in the future uh, based on your assessment. What do you, th with the conferring very guys, uh, well, what, what do you think I could be doing? And uh, they, they said, why? I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna get the role. So look, I was seven side, the other had, had 20 German PhD. And they looked at me and they said, do you know the scores that you had for this assessment? You are off the chart with your scores. You can do anything you want. We don't need to explain to you what you need to do. And I, I was flabbergasted. Right? I did not expect that. That was not my going in position at all. So I got the role. That's, that, that's bottom line. So now suddenly at 27 factories, I've worked in Dusseldorf. And, uh, I had a big challenge of uh, delivering the uh, defensive synergies. And, and I built a team and we delivered on the synergies. It was a fun ride for, for three years, very intense. Mm -hmm. So Will, what was the, the reason you were telling yourself the story that you were not ready? You said that, you know, the other person was German, had a PhD. So it was more about what I call titles and like status quo kind of things. Yeah, and I think it's also um, the image that you have of a German company. So okay. I was like, I'm joining a German company. There's already a German, it's a doctor. Uh, he has more sites than I do. I'm more experienced. I, I, and I was also... Perhaps that is because of my upbringing. You're also pretty modest about your own capabilities. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. that that combination made me think I wouldn't get the role. Yeah, makes sense. 
we, I think what you talked about also the upbringing, because we are used to it, and I also come in a, a different, uh, you know, uh, life and journey, but more or less doing the work, you know, one step at a time, and uh, like the think big or things like that, it's, it, they're a little different. They're a little different uh, based on where we come from. Uh, how did you handle this major increase in responsibility like now at Henkel? Yeah, so uh, as you can as you can understand, I was like, oh, this is this is something. So uh, how, how am I going to do that? And and my luck was that I could I could almost build my own team. Um, but before I could do that, I first had to visit all the sites. So we were with a small team. I visited all the sites uh, because I had three months to come up with a three-year plan on how to reach our defensive synergies and, and get a footprint that would be in line with, with the ambition. That allowed me to learn extremely fast about the two companies and, and work with the team and meet a lot of people in a short time. And I think this is where the talent recognition comes from. It really helped me pick the team that I needed to implement it. Uh, because that was, I was not only looking at the factories and the processes, I was predominantly looking at the leaders that they had there and how they looked at this acquisition. So that, that also gave me a feel of who are the people that I want to work with making this, this integration uh, possible. And, and then I had full trust from my general manager in selecting this team and go forward with this team. And that, that made it, that gave a lot of confidence and the people that I could work with, I really liked as well. So that, that made it a fun, a fun project. I can imagine, especially when you have the opportunity to build your team. That's always a privilege. You said you can... Uh you know, detect talent and also choose the right people for the right roles. Uh, were there specific criteria that you used when you identified the, the team members? Yeah, you know, in an in, in integration like this, it's all about change. Because it was the number one buying the number two and then sudden, sudden feels it was the other way around. So you're talking about change. So when, when I looked at who... I looked at knowledge and experience. That was one factor. But the factor that I multiplied with is how are they going to embrace and execute change? Because you can be as good and as much knowledge as you want, but if you don't want to change and if you don't want to drive change, it's not going to work in an integration project as we had to do. So that, that, was, that was what I looked at when I, when I observed people. Did you learn anything also during this experience that was a hard lesson? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you, you do this all with good intent. But in the end, I think we let about 1,000 people go. So close 30 warehouses and, and seven facilities. And then relocated departments as well. And I was not thinking when I started this, the impact it would have on me to, to continuously bring this, this sad news to people. And I, I know I had this wake-up call when 
because I, I went then uh, proud, we do all this, you're going to recite. And then I heard in the corridor that the angel of death had, had arrived. And I had no clue they were talking about me. But of course, everybody that saw me coming knew something was going to change. Um, and they were like, okay, he's the guy that's going gonna, gonna to make decisions on whether this site stays or not. Um, and that negativity was something I really had to learn on how to deal with. Because it was not against me as a person, but against what I was doing. And, and I took that first as, okay, they, they call me the angel of death. It's about me. But it wasn't. It was about what I was supposed to do. Yeah. But you bring up a very good point and why people don't like change. Like there are people that they, they have an affinity toward change. But I think the, the implications of the change we create, I think is what uh, creates fear, uncertainty and tension and people don't like it because it's how they will be affected by change. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So it's funny, everybody says they want to change. Yeah. So ask someone, do you want to change? Yes. But the key question is, do they want to unlearn what they are doing? Yes. And, and I think that is the key in change. It's not only the learning, I think far more important, it's the unlearning of a habit that you've created over time. I think that is what the true change uh, really entails. And, and, and that is something not a lot of people really understand. You can ask anybody on the street, do you, are you willing to change? Everybody says yes. But if you tell them, will you stop doing X, Y, or Z? They're like, oh, why? And, and, and I think that that is where the tension for change comes from. Why is it so difficult for people to unlearn? I think it takes time before you learn something and you feel comfortable with it. Um, you're pulling people out of their comfort zone and, and, and that really feels uncomfortable. So I think yeah. that's my view on, on how I look at it. Yes. And also perhaps thinking that uh, when we learn something new, it might not work, we may fail. Yeah. And yeah. we, give, we give up everything that we have built with a lot of work and a lot of time. And then, you know, everything basically can, can look very different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, if somebody comes who, who has not been with you on that trajectory, you, you're also like, oh, what does this person really know about what, what I'm doing? So that, yeah. that, and then that fear of failure that combined with it makes people hesitant to, to change rapidly. So as you said, uh, we, it, was, it was challenging in terms of uh, having to do the restructuring, moving, closing sites, laying off people, well, following the strategy and the plan, but these were things that you were, you know, they were also impacting you. So is that uh, the reason that you decided to leave this role or also something different? No, there were, there were two reasons. Um, the first reason is the reason that you just explained. Um, when I joined Unilever uh, and I got the more responsible roles, there was a lot of building. And I love build. I love building something new. Um, what I had to do within Henkel was, yes, build a new network, but there was a lot of destruction. And, and a lot of because that a lot of 
intellectually a lot of energy, it feel a lot of negative energy. So that, and, and I was like, um, and that's related to my, to my dad. Um, my, as I said, my, my parents, they, they became uh, sure, let me call it that way. And my father always missed not being on the water, but he, came, he worked in the factory because he, he didn't want to have his kids at a boarding school, which you need to do if you're a sailor. And he didn't like that work at all, not at all. And then he died at a, a fatal, fatal incident at work. So my, my going in position is, I don't want to work somewhere where it's not fun. So I had this intellectual challenge and I really liked it and I had super support from, from Jean Friol as, as general manager. But at a certain point, it was enough is enough. So I want to go back into building instead of restructuring. That was one. Yeah. And the second is my family uh, decided not to live in Düsseldorf. So they lived about an hour and a half away. And I had to commute. And I didn't see them. I was already traveling. I had to commute. Yeah. And then uh, I really missed the opportunity growing off my kids so those were the two reasons why i started to look for something else very good so what came next so next came joining something completely new so always specialty chemicals making polymers or detergents or glue uh, i joined the e-commerce company and this was unheard of for me so now suddenly i work for a company that was doing print on demand um, with millions of customers where everything was made online and products were printed and shipped to, to the customer. And this was so new for me, Market, e-marketing, everything. So I, I, I joined this company called, at the time, Vista Print. Um, tremendous ride. When I joined the company at 800 million revenue, when I left the company six years later, 2.7 billion of revenue. And to give you a feel, a factory would make 90,000 customer orders a day, all make to order, and a throughput time of five and a half hours. So nothing compared to the, the yeah. chemical, specialty chemicals industry. What were the top two or three skills, new skills that you had to develop in your new uh, job? So the, the, the first one was um, understanding e-commerce and understanding e-marketing, which is not like normal marketing, it's e-marketing. The second one was the speed of implementation. You, you definitely didn't have a lot time to think you really had to be super fast in 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 your thinking and in your implementation as as that uh, yeah, five times your revenue in in six years time that that says something about what what you need to do and then the the third one was um a we did a lot of m a at the, and I did m and in the past, but it would be one in, in two years' time. 
That was mergers, acquisitions, or remix? Um, that was all acquisitions. All acquisitions, all like, okay. Yeah, and uh, we had to integrate them, uh, them all rapidly in the existing processes. And from the skills that you had before, you joined e-commerce, which ones uh, did you, I guess, repurpose and you used a lot in your new role? So the people part, um, yeah, quickly seeing how people, what, what you've got, and the process thinking. Um, because in the chemicals industry, it's all about processes, the, the process industry. And you can imagine if you, if a customer orders four different products and they need to be ready in six hours time to ship, that's all about process thinking. Some people call it, I call it lean thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I learned a lot of that already in the, uh, in the industries that I worked in before. Together with the network optimization, that, for instance, with all the facilities I had to do as well. So that's what I brought to, to the organization. Yeah, I can see now how all these things very much basically are repurposed or used in different way. But I can see all that now through the experience. And what are you doing these days? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so these days I'm working for a company called Firminus to make uh, fragrances and flavors. And okay. I am responsible for operational excellence and engineering. But it's quite broad. It, it involves industrialization, new technologies, uh, maintenance. Um, but what I'm predominantly doing is transformation. This, this is a very traditional industry, very traditional supply chain. And I'm bringing the supply chain thinking of e-commerce into this, into this company and helping the chief supply chain officer together with the team transform the business in this modern era, era where lead times are getting shorter, batch sizes are getting shorter, uh, product lifetimes are getting shorter. And, and how do you do that? What is going to be expected in five to 10 years? And how do you then transform that organization to be ready for those new demands? That's what I'm currently doing. Yeah. Now I can see though exactly how you are bringing everything, experience, skills uh, from the previous roles. You know, from a traditional, I guess, industry like the, you know, adhesives and polymers and then the e-commerce and then bringing that together to execute, create and execute the uh, transformation you want to. Correct. And, and we are, we have quite a nice team that are all, all looking at that and, and we're all bringing different experience to the table um, and, and, and led by my current manager, Abud Brinkreve. We, we are, we are working as one team to move that that change forward in the, in the organization. Very good. And um, now I'm going to change a little bit gear. So I'm going to ask a question that's my favorite. What is the one thing that you would like to leave your mark on within your lifetime? Ah, making other people better. That is my purpose. Um, I think that's related to the talent spotting and the talent and the mentoring. And if there's one thing I, I want people to say is I learned a lot 
and I didn't know that I could do this. Like what happened to me? Yeah, that's that's the one thing I want to, I want to leave behind. Whether that's my kids, yeah, or that's my coworkers, or those are the talents that that really rose to the to the senior leadership roles. Uh, that that is what I want to leave behind. Is this also the main reason behind writing your book? This is exactly the reason <laughs> for writing the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Uh, where can our listeners find more about you and about the book? So there, there are uh, different sources. One, we've got our own website, uh, which is called rps.academy. Rock, paper, scissors, dot academy. Uh, there's a lot of information uh, there. Um, then we are uh, also on LinkedIn. Uh, rock, paper, scissors, uh, the instant leadership, leadership uh, solution. And we are, of course, uh, available on, uh, on, on LinkedIn. Will Jacobs uh, and Fred Lennox. That's how we can be contacted and more information can be found. Thank you, Will, for sharing your learning journey that brought you to where you are uh, today. And I look forward to talking about the book in the next episode. Well, thank you, Maria. It has been a very pleasant uh, discussion and, and I'm looking forward to talking about the book as well. I hope you found this episode useful. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, I would appreciate if you would share it with your friends who are interested in the future of learning and work. You could also leave us a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. A new episode of Impact Learning will be published every Thursday. Thanks for listening. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidu. Till next time.